All right, question 42 and 43 is what we're looking at today. 42, which is the first commandment? Answer, the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Ralph Waldo Emerson famously said, what we are worshiping, we are becoming. In other words, our deities will shape our identities. This has been called Emerson's Law. And I once read a comparison between two men vis-a-vis -vis this law. First was Charles Darwin, who was very much about the worship of stark naturalism, atomism, an idea that the world existed only by natural law with no uh, greater power or guiding hand. And he wrote this in his autobiography. My chief enjoyment and sole employment throughout this life has been scientific work. From this work, he added, I am never idle as it is the only thing which makes life endurable to me. That to me means you're worshiping something. If without it, you can't endure life. Of course, compare that to the greatest scientific minds before him who were trying to discover how this world works out of a love for the creator and, and out of a, a sense of wonder. Uh, instead, he writes, up to the age of 30, poetry gave me great pleasure and I took intense delight in Shakespeare. But now for many years, I found it so intolerably dull that it nauseated me. My mind seems to have become a kind of machine for grinding general laws out of large collections of facts. This loss is a loss of happiness. I became a withered leaf for every subject except science. And he goes on to describe this as a great evil. He's not happy that it has happened to him. Now consider Emerson's law in the life of a wiser and probably smarter individual, Jonathan Edwards. At 19, he wrote his resolutions. This time of year, if you move in the circles that I move in, everybody is going nuts over Jonathan Edwards' resolutions because it's New Year's resolution time. Uh, you can't keep them all, at least. Pick a couple, maybe. But this was one. He wrote, resolved to cast my soul on the Lord Jesus Christ to trust and confide, and confide in him and consecrate myself wholly to him. Later in his life, Edwards reflected on how his object of worship affected his soul over the years, writing, It brought an inexpressible purity, brightness, peacefulness, and ravishment to the soul. In other words, it made the soul like a field or garden. Two different men, gifted like crazy by God with minds and drive, one of them says, I became a withered leaf, and that was a great evil. The other, my soul became a garden and flourished. The object of our worship and our devotion will shape who we are, and that is what the first commandment is about at its core. Um, I'm going to do something really, really boring, and uh, that is I'm going to write it in Hebrew on the board. And I'm going to do that because I think we've become so overly familiar with this that you're going to miss, if you don't stop and, and look at it, maybe even in a different language, uh, you're going to miss what's going on in, uh, in this 
very familiar passage. And I'll write it so that you can write it down beneath Elohim. Uh, you know, if I make a mistake, probably most of you won't know. Although, Beth told me her goal is to start learning some Hebrew this year. That was a resolution which I think is kind of cool and told her I would happily help. I can be of most help to someone who knows nothing because that is very close to what I know in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> okay, so it, it's lo uh, laka Elohim Echerim El Now, when we look at, this is one of those passages like the Great Commission where you, you know the English really well. And as you think about it and break it into its component parts, you come to a wrong conclusion because the translations are always imperfect. So the Great Commission, you say, okay, what's the command, the main command? What's the verb that I am to do? If I had to boil it down to one word, it's go. go. Hopefully, if you've been here any amount of time, you've heard me preach on how that is not the actual imperative, the command. That that's a participle. It's like while going. The command to you is make disciples. The going is assumed. You're going to be going. You've got to go somewhere. Well, I guess now you could just stay home and order pizzas on the Internet and, you know, play your pizza guy still got to go to the pizza of course now it's going to be a drone right yeah so you only interact with drones and alexa and that kind of thing but but when jesus gave that it is when jesus gave that commission the going was uh, unless you were ultra rich you were going to go somewhere and even then you were going to go somewhere if you could so it was while you're going as you're going as you're able to go as you're going make disciples so in the same way we look at this and it looks like uh, the, the English is emphasizing something that I don't think we really find there. First of all, let's look at the command part of it. It starts with lo. Aaron, do you remember when, when uh, we were listening to those Hebrew tapes? Yeah. That's the only word you remember from, yeah. from Hebrew, right? How does it, how does it pronounced in the? Lo. lo. Which means? No. no. right. So if somebody asks you, do you speak uh, Ivrit? And they ask you in, in Hebrew, just say lo. And so that is low, that is no, that is not. And then this is a future uh, indicative. This is not a command, it's a future verb. So you will not. You're, you're not going to. We were talking a couple weeks ago uh, about how this is a pretty common command structure. And it's actually very strong. It seems like because there's not an actual command in it, do this, that it would be weaker. But think about when you were a kid, and you're, if, you're, if your parents said, when I'm gone, clean your room. There's a command in it, right? If you say, well, I'm gone, you will clean your room. They're not trying to predict the future. They are decreeing with some real authority. So this is uh, what will not happen in the future, is the formula for most of these commandments. How many of them begin with lo? You can know that without looking at the Hebrew. How many of them are not? I'm sorry, I was ready to say that again. How many of them would begin with lo or not? Is it all of them but honor your father and mother? Uh, that's one of them. Well, right, so the fourth and fifth, as we count them, are not 
negative commandments. They are positive, do this, rather than you will not do this. They say you will do this. Um, and so it's a fairly negative thing when we come right into the Ten Commandments and the first one is saying, you will not do this. You can understand how it's caused the Israelites to maybe shrink back a little bit and go, wait, there's nine more of these. <laughs> Each of them kind of rushing nesting doll houses many more commandments of what we will not do and what we must do. Uh, and the, I, I want to I remind you of the fifth and the eighth concepts for interpreting Scripture, which we looked at three weeks ago uh, in the Westminster Confession. The fifth that what God forbids at no time to be done, what he commands is always our duty, and yet every particular duty is not to be done at all times, and that in what is commanded to others we are bound according to our places and callings to be helpful to them and to take heed of partaking with others in what is forbidden them. So when it says don't do X, there is implied in it the opposite side. Do this. Don't do this means do this. Uh, so honoring your father and mother means don't dishonor them, right? And, and that is full force a command that is binding on us as well. That seems to be a not only logical conclusion, but also something that the scriptures bear out uh, as it, the, the word of God deals with God's law. Uh, the verb here, and this I think is where it's important that we take a step back and don't just say it from memory and go, yeah, I know that one. The verb is not have. It would seem like it is, right? You will not have any other gods before me. Don't have them. So be someone who doesn't have and you're okay. It's not at all though. The verb is here and it is actually an incredibly important verb and a very common verb and it's, hey It has to do with karate. Yes? How does God's name? God's name does come from that verb. Remember when Moses said, what if they ask me what your name is? What are you to say? I am. I am that I am. And that's eh, yeah. It's a verb, of, it's a form of this. And the name Yahweh is also derived from that. So, so God's name, his identity is wrapped up in the root word to be, which you can spin all sorts of truths out of that, right? He's, of all the gods, he's the one who bees, okay? All the rest of them are not being. God is. And that's, that's his very nature. In fact, Anselm kind of built a whole uh, argument for the existence of God from that, that the greatest being would be one that is. And uh, so one that is is greater than one that only kind of exists in theory. Therefore, God exists. Uh, so this is the verb it is, or to be, or to become, that is what is forbidden here. The being of, to you, God's other. So this is not even a second person command. You will not have other gods. I mean, that's a good enough gloss. It tells us the the core of this, the thrust of it, but if we wanted to get really wooden, it would be there will not be unto you other gods before me. So it's actually outlawing the existence of other gods 
to you. There, are, there can't be any other gods that be. The rest of them have to be allowed to just be idols. As Paul says, we know that an idol is nothing. They're, they're nothing. To you, there's one God. You only have eyes for him. And that is the first commandment. This word, uh, laka, uh, which is kind of appended to the, the verb to be, uh, is, is a one-letter preposition, to, and then uh, a little ending, ka, which means to you. Uh, in fact, in Hebrew, you have to learn these all like rhymes at the beginning. Lo, la, la, ka, la, 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 ka means to you. So, to, in fact, you, you ever been to Lael? Very badly pronounced as Lael means to God, belonging to God. And that's what they're saying about this camp in our ministry. It's, it's to God. So, to you... There will not be other gods. Now, Elohim here is plural. And you probably know that in the Old Testament Hebrew, when we're talking about our God, it says Elohim, plural, but it's treated as a singular. I do think we're on the right track when we see shades of Trinity in that, although there are people who try and argue against it who are Christians. Uh, But the fact that then we're talking about other gods tells us that this isn't saying you shouldn't have any other god. There's, you know, I don't want one other god or a god named Elohim, but we're talking about gods in general. Other gods will not be to you. Now, here's the part that I think really confuses people when they just know the, the English. Before me, and if we wanted to really literally translate this, Al means before or upon. Pene means my face. Don't have any other gods, or there will not be any other gods to you before my face, or in front of my face. When you just hear, you will have no other gods before me, it's easy to take the word before. There's another meaning in its semantic domain that means uh, ahead of me in preference. I can have other gods. Yes. Is, and, and in fact, what's interesting is that word uh, hair here, which, which means other, uh, comes from a root that means um, waiting kind of idea. And the word can mean to be in line or to be next. So you almost could even start digging into the original language and say, oh, okay, as long as the other gods I have are in line behind this god, I'm okay. Because my other gods aren't before him. I give him most of my time. I give him most of my attention and devotion, most of my love. And I reserve just a little for these other gods that are like way in the background. So I'm okay. Yeah. How, maybe you don't know this, but I'm wondering how that's been translated in the past, in like centuries past, as the gospel was spreading throughout all these different parts of the earth. Like would that same, like we have a meaning for before, but would that same thing... I'm quite sure that's a uh, unique issue with English. I, I couldn't say for certain, but I mean, I haven't studied all the languages, but right. I mean, who here speaks another language? <laughs> Nobody? If Lisa was in here, we'd ask her about Spanish. If the word, I, I, I learned some Spanish and so did you. And I don't think I remember before being both a temporal or um, importance word as well as a spatial in your presence word. I think that's... Yeah, but you could have a spatial thing that just means ahead of. 
which would imply a position, right? Because that's from Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, you could. I don't know if you do or not. Okay. Um, but, but my point today is that if we understand it in keeping with the words that Moses first had chiseled and handed to him and then had to chisel out himself, uh, we're talking about, basically, if you wanted to get really kind of loose with it, but keep the original meaning, we'd say, keep all other gods out of my face, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that before my face thing it does kind of translate. Uh, he doesn't want them in his face, in his field of view. Don't come to me bringing any other gods. There, there can't be any other gods to you. You have to be a one God nation. And as you individually come to me, you have to be a one God man. This laka is second masculine singular, but it's a general masculine. So he's not talking to you as a whole. This isn't, this isn't plural. There can't be any other gods to you, all of you who are around the mountain right now, all of you who are descendants of Abraham. He's talking to each individual person. There will be no other gods to you individually before my face. Did, did I get that? Uh, so it's not before in prominence. It's not before in line. It is in my presence. That's what this says. Uh, have you understood it that way? Or did I just give you some new insight of some kind in my writings of squiggly on the board? Well, when you started, I saw it before me. I was thinking there was a loophole. But... <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I don't, I, we all know that God won't tolerate idolatry just as long as we prefer him to the idols. But if the commandment was worded such that the real infraction would be giving, in fact, we even talk about idolatry in these terms sometimes. I'll even say giving something else or someone else the first place that belongs to God. Now, that is how a banal activity or interest or person can become an idol to you. But this is also forbidding any God at all. And so if you live in Canaan, where the understanding is geographic gods or gods based on uh, different natural phenomenon, inland gods versus coastal gods, mountain gods versus plain gods, you could see how someone might throw a bone to this, you know, or even today, you know, maybe I'm going to also just offer up a little prayer to you know, who's it, what's it, cover my bases. I'm going to, you know what, send me your positive vibes as well as, and pray to whatever God, because I really need the help right now. And God is saying, if you follow me, keep all the other gods out of my face. It will, it will anger me if you bring other gods around, because there are no other gods that are. He's the only God who is. And I think that we do see a play on words here with, I mean, Haya is a very common um, word, all of the, and so it came to pass, it happened. Uh, this is the word, this is a very common, it's like is. So I don't want to make too much of it. But the fact that his name is Yahweh and he's the only God who is, and the first thing he outlaws is there being other gods like there could be before him, before his face. I feel like this is one of those little things that, um, for me, makes it very obvious that this is not just a religion that people made up. Because why would you make it that hard on yourself if you were just sort of making it up? Because everybody else was 
pantheistic, and it, life would have been so much easier for the Jews if they had, like, just sort of appropriated things. So, for me, this is one of those things that feels like, yeah, I, if I were making up a religion, I wouldn't do it this way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, although there are false religions that are difficult, and I think part of that is in the suffering and the striving and doing something yeah. that's so hard and countercultural, I feel like I'm earning something. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, they, somewhat like uh, uh, why would the first eyewitness uh, to the resurrection be a woman when in, in that culture right. women weren't seen as the most reliable witnesses? It seems like this must have been written down because it was observed, not because it was right. dreamt up. Yeah, I get you, I get you. Uh, I think that's all we'll say about question 42 then because it just asks what the thing says. It doesn't say what does it mean. Let's go to question 43. What is required in the first commandment? And the answer is, the first commandment requires us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God and to worship and glorify him accordingly. Why do you think most of these, eight of these ten commandments are lo? You will not commandments and not positive, you can do it type things. Well, is it whatever is counter to our natural instincts? Like we would naturally be people who would do all these bad things, but not naturally be the person who does the good things, like honor your father and mother and keep the Sabbath. And so you're given the command that you need correct that? Could be. I don't know the answer. I'm just asking for I don't know. Didn't your they opinion? used to teach you when you're raising kids, don't use the negative because that's what they hear. Like, don't go near the TV. The minute that they would, all they hear is near the TV and then go to do the opposite. <laughs> and this had that very effect. Paul says, I didn't know what coveting was until the law said, do not covet. And then I was like, mm, sounds pretty good. Okay, so. But you were already doing that. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been given that command, right? I don't know. I don't. I mean, they weren't necessarily eating from that tree until God said, "Don't eat from that tree." But what they probably would have if they were eating from everything else. Might have taken them a long time to get there. <laughs> the tree suddenly seemed really sexy. I'm going to have that. It's the, it's the latest thing here. It's a pop-up. Is that even a reference that makes sense anymore? Probably not. It's like a hipster restaurant that just all of a sudden it's there and then it's gone. If you'd said pop-up restaurant, I would. Whatever. What? Am I ahead of you guys or am I way behind? In this case, I think what we're seeing at the very beginning is an acknowledgement that people fell from the knowledge of God, ironically while eating a tree promising knowledge of good and evil, but that gods are required by us especially us, uniquely us, because we bear the image of God. So horses and sunflowers and beetles don't require a God, uh, but human beings, we do, and so we invent them. This is an important uh, starting point. This is vital. In fact, it's been said that if you break this one, uh, you, if you break any other commandment, you break this one. And, and so, like... Luther said, uh, the heart of man is an idle factory. You have to nip this in the bud 
or any other commandment can be broken and then justified by inventing a God, often with the same name, who looks an awful lot like the true God, but doesn't prohibit this. I mean, look no further than shortly after the giving of this law, when they put all this gold into the fire and what? Out comes a calf, according to Aaron's uh, recounting of things. And to which Moses said, you done messed up, Aaron. That's in the Mishnah. And, and then um, what does he say? This is, before, before Moses comes down, he says to the people, this is who? Yeah, Yahweh. This is Yahweh, the God who brought you out of Egypt. He doesn't say this is some other God. This is uh, Merodolacha or some like weird, you know, Gentile sounding thing. Let's go to some other God. No, this is our God. Um, now that maybe gets us more into the second commandment. But the notion that you want to keep it a little close so it feels familiar, but your heart will make a, a God that's just off by enough to keep you comfortable. God, from the very beginning, says, no, you take me as God or, you know, all or nothing. You can't bring any other gods uh, into my presence. Uh, this one is very much first because of that third principle uh, reading, of reading the scriptures, that within commands, there are housed, nesting other commands. You keep opening and finding more and more and more. And within this one, you do find numbers two through ten. You can't break one commandment unless it's just the first one. You, if, you, if you're stealing, you're also breaking the first commandment. If you're coveting, you're certainly also breaking the first commandment because you are creating a scenario in which the God you worship is permitting this. What does this tell us of Christians and even churches who advocate a religion which is first and foremost or maybe entirely concerned with social duties, where it's just love, be Jesus to your neighbor, work for justice, love mercy, do good things, but those are first. Instead of starting with, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, you will have no other gods before me. But I made a mistake. Okay. <laughs> but why? Why is that so common? That's really common today. I think it's common because um, it's something to do. And I think we all have a tendency to look for something to do to either feel like we're um, exercising our faith or to feel like we're getting better than we were before. But I think that in anything that you do that's a good thing, a lot of times you can find that you're doing it because it makes you look good, it makes you um, respected, and, and things like that. And so you can be doing it and putting yourself higher, I, not being very humble about it, I, even though it's supposed to be a humble activity. I agree. And I think we want to remind ourselves, I don't know why this one's smaller. That's yeah. Um, of this Baptist distinction between, now it's just really bad perspective. Um, <laughs> Baptist uh, distinction between the first and second table and maybe ask ourselves if there's a reason for the order and, and if there's a 
progression here. Just like there's a progressive revelation of God throughout the scriptures, if there is progressive revelation about our relationship and who he is and therefore who we are called to be in the, the Decalogue itself, the, the 10 words, um, Baptists have always said, and we talked about this last time, the first table of the law has to do with this vertical stuff, our relationship with God. The second table of the law is the horizontal stuff, right? And the reason it's important to Baptists to distinguish these two is because, anyone remember? Right, our thing, uh, which says the first table should never be something that the magistrate enforces. There should never be civil law saying, this is how you worship God. This is how you, know, you have to, your, your conscience is bound by law. We, we say people ought to be able to worship as, they, uh, as their conscience dictates. But as you look at the first and second table of the law, you're laying the groundwork in the first for the second. So we start with... Does it, who here can actually give me all Ten Commandments? I gave you many times the really corny way, and we'll do it again. <laughs> all right, you have to stand up now. We're going to do this. We're going to do this every week until everyone knows them, or we get done with them. One. Okay, so one. Hold up one finger. No other gods. So it's number one, and God's number one, which kind of I think plays into the before me misunderstanding. But mnemonic devices are meant to be stupid. That's how you remember them. One. One God. I have no other gods before me. All right, what's two? Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Nope. No. You got to make little legs and then bow. You have no graven images. You shall not bow down and worship them, etc. Okay, so that's two things that have to do with how we worship God. Three. That's the one. That's where you put three to your lips. Do it, David. Too cool for school. Three. Third commandment. Three to your lips. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, okay, do not take the Lord's name in vain, I'm adding words, four, it's the little going people, they're going to church, so four is, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, the fifth one, now this gets controversial, it's a spanking, if you're married, you can spank your spouse when you're going through this together, but don't do it here, that's weird, um, it's what, honor your father and mother, uh, so that you will live long in the land, it's the only one with a promise, right? All right, then the sixth one. Okay, this is where it gets... Is it this one? No. No, it's this one. One of them's weird. They're both weird. This is the guns. It's the guns, right? Do not murder. You, you, you will not murder. You shall not murder. Six, right here, right? And you can turn them sideways if you want. That's a kill shot. All right, and then seven. This one is very, very one difficult. Like going that way. So it's, it's this. This one's the dumbest one, so you should remember it the best. You turn this upside down. Turn the whole five on its side, so you're looking at it this way, and you make an A. That oh, that's dumb. It is dumb, but now you'll remember adultery. it. Do not commit adultery. All right, and then eight. That's, that's where you make the little robber's mask. Make the robber's mask. He's holding his Bible, so he's exempt. <laughs> All right, right there, that is you will not steal. All right, the ninth commandment, you lay it down. It lies down because you, so you, you, you don't want to lie. Do not bear false witness against your brother. What? She said it doesn't have anything particularly to do with nine. Yeah, but this one does. 
it, but this is the one, and by elimination, it's the only one that couldn't do any of the other things, I guess. I did not make this up. I found this long, long ago in youth pastor land and have been using it for years. And then 10 is like, give me more, give me more, give me more, with all 10 fingers, and it's thou shall not covet. All right, so we'll, we'll do this again next week, so don't come. Um, no, but you should know the Ten Commandments for crying out loud, right? We're all believers who've been believers for decades or, or years, or even if it's been months, you should know the Ten Commandments. So um, we're building something then. That we, this is how you love God. You don't worship idols. You, you honor his name. You honor his day. You honor uh, his uh, commands. And then out of that grows, your, out of your love for God grows not killing people, not stealing. Uh, you know, and, and nested in those are all of the positive commands that are the flip side of that, which say to be kind, to love your neighbor, uh, to forgive, to be content, all these, all these things. So if you start with that, you're going to be pharisaical. You're starting on the outside, trying to work in. And that is much of Heck, I can speak this way as a mainline Protestant minister. That is much of mainline Protestant Christianity in America. Start on the outside, work it in. There's a church with the same name as our church that's far more prominent that was started by a guy related to the Judson himself, which if you go on their website now, all you read is outside. This is our social action. This is our, our political maneuvering. This is our... How, how we do good stuff for people, nothing about how God starts on the inside it gives us a new heart that loves God and worships only him. So that, out of that comes our... So, so you have to start here. And so if you only remember one commandment, remember this one. Because if you remember it really well, out of it will come the rest of them. I was at a Promise Keepers event years ago. And one of the speakers talked about how God had to be first in your life. And then we broke into discussion groups. And all the married men were having problems with, I can't put God ahead of my family. And I said, well, if you put God ahead of your family, God does not want you to be a bad father. Right. So you will be a better father if you put God first. And I think that's what you're saying right here. If we follow the first commandment, all the other ones will do better than we would if we didn't follow the first commandment. Perfectly put. Yeah, Absolutely. And uh, I liked your story in which you were the sage and all the other 70,000 men were fools. Um, what year was that? I was probably there. I like how you said I was at a Promise Keepers event years ago. It's the only way to be at one, man, sadly. They have one a year now. Where? They're having one in Dallas this July. We're going to go. Let's go. Let's all go. Let's talk about it tonight. You're not, you're not invited. They tried, it's a, the women tried to, to make like a promise keeper's analog and they were like, eh, we don't like this. And so they stopped. Um, uh, we already talked about that. We already talked about that. So how could someone in light of this, this commandment, put these 10 commandments in a quote, different dispensation? We touched on this a little bit, a little while ago. The notion that these were for a different age and now we needn't bother them. If they really are all kind of nested within I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You will have no other gods in my presence. How? How, how, can we, how can we do that? I think the answer is this look of like, I don't know that I'm getting from all of you. These are not 
outdated rules of an old covenant that's broken. Now, when we read in Hebrews about the rules and regulations being obsolete, we're going to get to what that's talking about. But when it comes to this Decalogue, which sums up the law, which is in turn summed up by love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your brother or your neighbor as yourself, which is in itself summed up with love, which we saw last time uh, by rushing through a bunch of scriptures, this applies. It's good to think about the Ten Commandments. When you're not saved, it's good to think about the Ten Commandments because you see, holy smokes, I'm doomed. I've broken all ten if I take them the way Jesus applied them. And then they drive you to the foot of the cross. As a believer, it's good to think about all ten so you can see where God needs to be working in you, where you need to be submitting to Him, where you need to be focusing in your sanctification. It's, it's very good to think about the law. And when you get into a church where they say, no, 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 we're not law. We're in the age of grace. Um, by the way, I did sneak in that audio clip when I said I would about that guy. Uh, he says, um, he says, even when Jesus tells you, you know, forgive your brother seven times 70, uh, he's, he's not yet died on the cross. So it's still the Old Testament. So it's still not for us. What a disaster. Well, because it's someone who's zealous for grace, not law. When it should be gospel and gospel has a place for law to break you and, and uh, bring you to a, a place of brokenness and, and accepting grace, and then to build you up. The gospel doesn't say uh, grace means forget about your sins. They don't matter anymore because the laws have all sunsetted. Then you don't need Jesus. He was using Paul to try and uh, to get there. Yeah, it's, it's a sad state, but we have to just do our best to teach people what the scriptures say. And it has to be more than just reciting John 3.16, because you can tell people Jesus died for your sins, but if their understanding is, oh, good, then law doesn't matter anymore, you've pushed them into antinomianism, or what uh, is called uh, the Nicolaitan uh, error in the book of Revelation. And Jesus, as he talks about those Nicolaitans, is not very hopeful for them and their uh, kind of uh, eternal destiny. But, I mean, could we say that the gospel weakens this commandment a little bit, makes it a little less scary or... Yeah. I don't think so. Does it soften it? No, I mean, it, doesn't it sort of reinforce it? There's one way. It's mm. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And of course, the gospel is you know, the personal work of Jesus Christ culminating at the cross. When you look at the cross, you see how very serious it is that we have strayed from this, that we all like sheep have gone astray, that God's wrath even poured out on his own son uh, is, the, is the end result so that we could, that we could live. Yeah, it does, not, it does not weaken it. It does not soften it. The gospel is not the um, undoing of the law. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So all this stuff, Jesus came to fulfill it. Uh, Luther starts in his catechism. He begins with the Ten Commandments before anything else. So what does that tell you about Luther's approach versus the approach of these, these Baptists? Uh, Luther's question number one is, what is the first command and what does it mean? 
And only after a discussion of this does it go on to the Apostles' Creed, where we walk through the uh, birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus and what it means for us. While you're digesting that, I'll tell you that the Catechism of the Catholic Church starts with the Creed. It's a section called the Profession of Faith and only gets to the Ten Commandments more than halfway through in a section called Life in Christ. What's the difference between starting with the law or starting with our beliefs and getting to the law? Is one right and one wrong? Make a case for both of them. If I'm, if I'm teaching you the faith and I say, I'm going to start with the law and then I'm going to get from there to grace, why would I do that? Like, I guess starting with the law would be the way you would... It's chronological. Everything starts with God and our relationship with him, which is how to honor him, um, what he wants from us, and, and how he expects us to behave. Um, so that's, that's a good starting point. Is, in fact, the Bible takes that starting point, right? <laughs> Genesis 1, God, here's who God is. He created everything, and then he says, covenant of works... Don't do this. So we have commandment, and then we have the breaking of the commandment, and the, the promise of the gospel. Yeah. Grace doesn't mean a lot unless you know that you've broken the commandment. If you don't know that you're sinful, then why would you care? Yeah, yeah. And, of course, in our catechism, we get in question 40-something into the Ten Commandments. So what are we doing wrong? Or is there a, an argument to be made for this as well? I mean, because the first one is, like, the, the chief end of man mm -hmm. is sort of tied into that first commandment. Right. So it's not like we're talking about that. It's a universal thing to wonder, why are we here, and what's our place in the world, and, and so that's another place to start. So these are two valid uses of the law. Luther, in his catechism, starting with the Ten Commandments, that's the first use of the law. He's like, I'm, gonna, I'm going to do what Jesus kind of did the Sermon on the Mount and show you what does this mean? It means, you know, when we get to honor your parents, what does this mean? Calvin had all these memorized at one point. I hope he still does from his Lutheran school. Well, we paid good money for him to memorize those. Uh, what does this mean? It means you must respect, honor, and submit and obey to all earthly authorities. And he goes through all this whole big long list, you know, so kind of spinning all these things out to show the sinner which is what Luther knew all the kids reading this catechism totally were, uh, their need for Jesus. I think that's because that's where he started, mm. right? He personally started there as being very aware of his sin. Yeah, which anyone who's saved has to become very aware, uh, whereas this catechism is starting with, uh, you know, what is our chief end of man? What is God? You know, talking about all this stuff, that he's holy, just, perfect. And then when we get to the commandments, this is the third use of the law. As a believer, now, how do we live these? So I, both of them are, are valid. It's interesting how they, the two different traditions or multiple different traditions are viewing the, the primary role, if we have to give them one, of, of these types of things. I think I first was attracted to Christ through God's law. And then <laughs> I started to study and realize, wow, I'm not. <laughs> and so I, mine was the other way around. I, the law didn't, wasn't first. Mm -hmm. I, I, didn't, I didn't consider myself a bad person. And 
convicted. <laughs> you were. I mean, I assume you were worse than you are now. Yeah, so, so you, you didn't hear about these impossible-to-keep statutes and go, ooh, sounds good. Yeah, yeah, and I think that in our, you have to be wise about this stuff. I think in our culture today, I'm not knocking guys standing on boxes on street corners. It takes guts, and, and God will use the preaching of his word. But I think if we're being as crafty as serpents and innocent as doves, we have to recognize that you're doing it all wrong and you've made God angry is probably not the most winsome way to open the door to sharing the gospel. Not in our culture today. There is a time when Jonathan Edwards could get up and talk about how God is the spider and you're the fly trapped in the web and you are, you know, you're going to burn. And people were like, interesting and flocking to him. <laughs> this is not that time. So yeah, the, the, the law is here uh, used, I think, in a way in our catechism that we want to use it today. Uh, and that is, yeah, starting with God is love, God is uh, holy, God is great, God is... And then let's talk about this God. He's, uh, he's inexhaustible. Let's talk about him. And then as we look at him, you start to recognize where you fall short. And I think that makes sense to start just with the idea of whether God exists and if he does, what is he like in this culture? Because that, I think, is a very easy starting point with most people because... A lot of people just don't believe it exists even. And back then, more people, I think, would believe, yes, there is a God who created this world, whether or not they actually believe in the God of the Bible. Um, and there are two or three hot-button sins that if you start with law, they will immediately uh, go, well, or, or just get sidetracked into a, you know, this is going to be a debate about those particulars. Rather than starting with, here's who God is, and once we've established that, then we can look at these Ten Commandments, uh, and it's very, uh, to me, it's, it's beautiful how the law breaks people. Uh, I'm going to bring in next week one of those uh, videos of Ray Comfort not talking about a banana at all, but talking to guys, just regular guys on a pier, and four or five of them, I think, are worth watching, uh, different reactions. But people come to faith when someone says, if there's a God... Why would he let you into, into heaven? And they say, I'm a pretty good person. And he says, well, are you, are you open to talking about what God's loss is? Do you, do you believe in the Ten Commandments? Oh, yeah, sure. And, all right, let's walk through them one at a time. And starting with the first all the way to the tenth, you've broken them all. He usually highlights just five or six, the ones that people think they haven't broken. And so by your own admission, you are a lying, thieving, adultering, murderous, whatever, whatever. And then right when they're kind of staggering Wait a minute, how did this happen? How did I, well, he brings in the grace, the gospel, the cross, and some people shut him right down. A lot of people kind of, well, I'll think about this. I'll hear, you, I'll hear it again sometime. And we think, oh, seed might be planted. And some people come to faith. And I think watching people come to faith based on those kind of uh, encounters emboldens us to share the gospel and think, I could, I could probably do this every day. And every week, somebody would at least say, you've piqued my interest. I'm going to read about this or learn about this or, or, or at least think about it. Um, right before we end here, let me just uh, compare these two catechisms. Luther's small catechism, uh, which asks, what, what is required in the first commandment? Or what is the first commandment and what does this mean? 
And the answer is we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And the Westminster says we should know and acknowledge, worship, and glorify God. I'm not trying to start an ecumenical squad feud, if you will. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, I think Luther, uh, he wrote this maybe too early. And uh, it sounds like, yeah, above all things, almost sounds like the before me uh, misunderstanding. I, yeah, now granted, you do want to love other things and other people. But those loves ought to be other expressions of your love for God. If you love something and it's, it can't be seen as an expression of your love for God, then you're loving something you shouldn't love. It's probably something worldly or something carnal, and it's probably in danger of becoming an idol. So I think both of these are, are fine. Can you read the second one again? Uh, it's written at the top of your page uh, right, oh, where it says answer. Yeah, uh, the first commandment requires us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God and to worship and glorify him accordingly. Yeah, and of course, uh, another catechism says that we exist to know God, serve God, and love God. Uh, and that, I think, also is drawn right out of that first commandment. Know him, serve him, love him. Um, yeah, okay, we'll stop there. There's actually some more first commandment. We're only about halfway through the first commandment. Uh, and then we will probably start the second commandment, which should get very interesting uh, in that there are Presbyterians everywhere who think we're breaking it with a little picture of some Renaissance art of Jesus in the back there. There's probably some who think we're breaking it with a cross in the front here. And it's a very interesting discussion to get into. Uh, the old 2CV as they say on the internet. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your law. And Lord, we love your law and we want to love it more. And we, we're not fooling ourselves into thinking that your grace cancels out your law, but Lord, that, that uh, you were willing to come in the person of Christ, uh, the second person of the Holy Trinity, God in Christ reconciling the world to yourself because... We have broken your law, and because it is so serious, and because it is still in force. And Lord, we pray that we would live as people who are not afraid of you, but who fear you, and people who, who keep your commandments, because in this we, we can know that we love you, that we keep your commandments. And Lord, we pray that we would use these not as a, a way of condemning ourselves, because we know there is no condemnation for us if we are in Christ Jesus, but Lord, as a way of, of growing and being challenged and being empowered uh, and, and being filled anew with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that this uh, law that you've given us would, would spur us on to follow you all the closer. And Lord, that we would see ourselves becoming more and more like Jesus as we look at this law. In your holy name we pray. Amen.